Good morning, I'm George Boldarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. This is the sound of just one of the many talented street performers scattered across New York City. Our producer, Veronica Volk, stopped to chat with a classical musician playing in Central Park, who, by the way, is only 12 years old. Hi, my name is Giorgio Poma, and I'm a cellist. I've been playing the cello for six years. I started because I wanted something that had a deep sound but also had something with a bow. So first I was thinking of a violin, but then I saw something even bigger with a deeper and with a deeper sound, so I, I chose the cello. I used to play the tuba when I was like five, <laughs> but yeah, not not anymore. I liked the strings more than the horn. The, I, I was really little when I chose the tuba, so I just thought it was really big and cool, so I just, yeah, I stuck with the cello. Yeah, it's almost bigger than you are. Yeah. <laughs> I go to, uh, um, to two schools, one in like a normal school, but it has a, a special program for, it's called Special Music School. It has a special program for music. It's emphasized on music. And then on weekends, I go to the Manhattan School of Music, which is, um, yeah, Hum Music School. I moved here from Sweden a few months ago. In Sweden, I had like the school, like the special music school. It's the same thing. And they were teaching a lot, almost only classical music, a little jazz, but mostly classical music. So I was playing lots of classical music, and it just came into me that I like it a lot. There's a lot of music here in New York, and my mom's American, so I, my mom wanted also me to have the American culture. Hi, I'm Michelle Annenberg-Poma, and Giorgio is my son. I noticed that Giorgio and, and his sister both were interested in music when they were very little. They danced. They, their daddy's Italian, so they always had these little Italian songs on, and they loved them, and that's how I saw it. I'm American. My husband's Italian and they were born in Sweden and I had lived there for 26 years and I thought it's time that they should maybe have a little of my culture and then they both got into some really good music schools so we said okay. I thought actually Georgia would have the hardest time but he had the easiest. He made a best friend the first day <laughs> and from there it's been smooth sailing. All my friends play classical music, uh, Manhattan School of Music and the Special Music School. And they all pick an instrument and they play in orchestras or in private lessons. I like to play in everything. As solos, I think it's fun because I get all the attention by myself. And orchestras, I like because there's, it, it's a bigger piece. Quartets, I like because it's uh, or like four people together um, playing songs together and you, you get to meet new friends and play together. <laughs> By busking, I feel like I'm giving my music to other people. They can enjoy music like me and uh, I earn from it. <laughs> and it, it's a good way for everyone to enjoy music and I, it's also good practice. I usually try every weekend because after school is a little a lot with homework and stuff, so I usually try on the weekends every day, at least for two hours or one hour. I usually make about $100 per hour. I, I'm saving up right now for a new cello, and uh, I sometimes spend it on like little things, uh, like ice cream or something like that. 
I want to become a cellist, and yeah, I really want to bring my cello in my life and keep it there for my life. How old are you? I'm 12. Very good. Thank you. Very impressive. I hope you go far with that. Thank good you. luck. Giorgio Poma is a 12-year-old cellist. If you live in New York City, you may have noticed Giorgio, or at least others like him. Maybe you've even hung around to listen or pitched a dollar into their open instrument case. Whether underground, in the park, or on the sidewalk, these performers are a part of New York City life. One author was especially inspired by the multitude of talented musicians in the city. Heather Jack's book, The Noise Beneath the Apple, features 35 buskers and a vinyl record of their music. She joins me now on the phone. Heather, thanks for taking the time. Thank you for having me this morning. I, it's really great. What inspired you to put a book together about busking in New York City? I was actually raised on Indian land during the 1970s, and that was a very different time. And Basically, we didn't have electricity or running water, and what happened is a lot of people came to Indian land and left. And so I, as a kid, I was always seeing, like, traveling missionaries or traveling church, you know, tent revivals, um, war dodgers, rock and roll musicians coming out for vision quest. And at that time, you know, we didn't have electricity or, you know, television. So to me, it was like these traveling shows were coming through to entertain us, and that's really how I perceived it. So once I left Indian Land at the age of 15, I just really kind of gravitated towards the street culture. I really found an affinity towards busking, performing on street corners for money. And when I went to New York for my very first trip, I got off the train there, and I saw a man, a Lancondia Suzuko. He's a Cora, a West African Cora player, at the 59th Columbus Circle stop there. And I was absolutely mesmerized. I mean, it was just, it was amazing. And at the time, I was a freelance writer, so I thought, you know, I'm going to write some articles about, you know, this street culture, because it's really, there's nothing like it in the world. And I've been fortunate to travel to many parts of the world. So I started writing these articles and submitting them, and they were getting bought. And I thought, initially, that was really it. I thought, well, that's great. But as I started really getting to know the people who make up this culture, I realized that I had an opportunity to do something that would be much more socially relevant, and that was to help legitimize the culture and the profession of busking. And that's really where it started for me. So initially I thought I would just do a little paperback book, quite frankly, you know, take some pictures, do some profiles, and that took me about three and a half years. And now, of course, as you probably know, it's an award-winning art coffee table book that weighs Mm -hmm. eight pounds and uh, we actually produced a vinyl record that goes inside that book as well of original music from the streets of new york what would you say heather are the biggest misconceptions about busking well the biggest most definitely is that they're homeless they're vagrants they're talentless hacks and that's a very unfortunate thing so in all of the time that i spent in new york and in other parts of the world you know, with street performers, it's predominantly untrue. It's not to say that it's 100% untrue, but in New York, for example, you have Jim Grassick, who's amazing. He has not one, but two degrees from Juilliard. You have people who've gone to the Berklee School of Music. And the reason that I found overwhelmingly, probably the number one reason, is they choose to go out onto the streets and perform, and it's a choice. They choose to perform outside of a social context, excuse me, outside of a a monetary context. And that's hugely important. 
if you want to go to a show, you have to pay a certain amount of money to get your ticket. If you don't have that money, you can't go. So what I found was that these people chose to present their art and perfect their craft and present it right there on the world's biggest stage. And it's amazing. It's incredible. And that's the thing. is I worked in the music industry since the 80s, and you, the best music that you're going to hear, you're not going to hear it on mainstream radio. You're going to hear it on your streets of your city. You're going to hear it on the street corners of New York City. And I think a, a lot of the reason for that is that there's kind of a, a template. You know, there's, there's a formula how to become a mainstream artist, how to, you know, what the sound of a mainstream artist is. And so you get onto the streets of New York and you've got these amazing violins and a theremin and the Cora, that 21-stringed gourd. You're not going to hear these on mainstream radio. You're going to see this on your own street corner and you're going to see it for free. And I think that's hugely important. And I also think it's really important that the audience knows you and I as audience members to stop and drop a buck into their jug because that right there is extremely powerful and it validates street culture and it validates busking in our cities. And, you know, you can't buy it at Walmart, quite frankly. You're not going to be able to buy that photo and, you know, that kind of music and, you know, that YouTube video at Walmart. Drop them a buck. Validate, validate their place in our cities. And I think I, I just think that's hugely important. And that's definitely, definitely the number one myth. And I think because people think, oh, they're homeless, you know, they're vagrants. And historically, you know, that's also been definitely, you know, expounded upon through history as well. But I think that that maybe makes people a little leery and afraid to stop and, you know, engage with them. Like you kind of walk by and you're kind of like, I don't know if I should make eye contact. I don't know if I should look. And by all means, that's exactly what we should do. If you don't love them, if you don't like what they're doing, then, you know, by all means. But, but if they make you stop, you definitely need to drop a, you know, a buck in their jug and experience it because it's an experience. And that's what, you know, it's that connection, that people connection. Was it difficult, Heather, to narrow it down to just 35 buskers for this book? Initially, when I started the project, my goal, and because I started with a goal, I was like, I'm going to have 40. And I don't know why 40, but that number just, you know, like 40, that's the number. So I initially started with 53, and we ended up with 35. So for me personally, it was, and I know this will sound really San Franciscan to say it's an energy thing, but it really is. People who are supposed to be in the project are, and those are the people who are really doing it out of love for their craft and who are really just putting their hearts and souls out there every day and just wanted to be a part of something bigger than any one of the individual sums. Not everyone ascribes to that kind of philosophy, and that's fine. So for narrowing it down, for me personally, it wasn't hard to narrow it down. I really believe that the people who, you know, it was very experimental. It took three and a half years to do that project. I made a lot of mistakes. I had to, you know, do do photo shoots, redo interviews. I mean, I didn't know, you know, I'd never done anything of this magnitude before. So they were very patient, and those people who were just really patient and just really got it and at a visceral level and wanted to be a part of it are a part of it. How varied are the talents of the 35 in the book? It's amazing. We have a theremin. We have um, a chora. We have folk, rock, jazz. We have uh, opera. We have an amazing opera girl there. Um, so that's really another thing that I think that people don't realize. 
when you see a busker, you're really, it's like, it's like having a musical museum right on your street corner because you get to learn about all these instruments that you may not have ever, you know, heard of or known of before. And you can really take advantage of that and just get this free, wonderful education along with, you know, great entertainment. One of the things that happened, and we digress slightly, but at the end of the project, you know, it was done, and there was a, it didn't feel complete. There was a lack of closure, and that was actually brought up to me by a couple of the participants. When you, when you work with people for this length of time, you develop a friendship, I guess. And um, so I thought, you know, they're right. So I wrote out to everybody, and I said, would you guys like to come together and record a song together? And they unanimously wrote back, yes, they definitely want to do that. So I was great, okay, as long as it's a New York-centric song, then what would you like to record? And it was unanimous that it was Billy Joel's New York State of Mind. So I went and got the licensing to record that song. I ran a Rocket Hub, a crowdfunding project, which is actually based there in Brooklyn. And we raised the money to re- for the licensing and also for the, the recording studio. We took, my friend Keaton Simons flew in from L.A. He's an amazing music producer. Flew in from L.A. We took 30 New York City street musicians from the book into a Grand Street recording out in Brooklyn, 10 hours, and recorded that song. Wow. They literally had two takes to be great, and it is phenomenal. <laughs> New York City. I love my city. In all of its glory. Every little bit of nitty and gritty. <laughs> you can't find a vibe like this. You gotta be really divine. <laughs> That's why we over here, we're in a New York state of mind. You can feel it, right? Some folks like to get away. Take a holiday from the neighborhood. And then that felt, you know, like a bit of conclusion. I was like, okay. You know, we came together and did this amazing project. And, and it really speaks to the whole spirit of that project that, you know, we wanted to create something that was bigger than the individual pieces. And, and in that we did. How is busking in New York City any different from busking elsewhere in the nation, if at all? First of all, the streets of New York City are just rampant with amazing talent, and it's, it's unbelievable. It, it, it just blows your mind. Basically, busking itself, performing on street corners for money, is protected in the Constitution, um, the First and the Fourteenth Amendments, time and time and time again. It is considered free speech as long as it's your original material. So you go out there, you're not covering a Frank Sinatra song. As long as you're doing your original work, it is protected. So that's at the federal level. And essentially what has happened is that at the federal level exists, but the execution of that, uh, the execution, you know, of busking, the way that it's implemented, it, it falls to cities and to each individual city and municipality. So in New York, and New York is different. It's different than, you know, my own city here in San Francisco. It's different than Santa Monica. It's different than Seattle other places I've gone to. Each city has its own way of, of implementing and regulating busking. Technically, it probably shouldn't, it doesn't need to be regulated. It is a protected right. But, you know, there's a lot of people who wish to do it and participate in it. So, you know, the way to control and, you know, make it manageable 
you know, is that each city does it. The way New York does it was in 1985, there was a $75,000 grant that was given uh, by General Electric Foundation to start a pilot program. And in 1987, that pilot program became, became an actual program, and that's actually the music under New York. So today, the way that that plays out is that each spring, musicians are invited to audition for a permit. And they come in, and they, they, they submit an application, and then they get an invite, and then they come to uh, it's Grand Central, and they audition in front of a, a judge, a panel, of, you know, a panel of their peers of judges. If they get their permit, then basically it's a, it's a banner. It's free. They never, it never gets taken away. But if, if for the first year, it's a paper banner. You go to a little orientation. They tell you the rules and the regulations, where you can play. They give you pre-assigned spots. There's a little bit to it, but that's how that works in New York. And there's no fees attached to it in New York. In San Francisco, it's, it depends on which part of the city you're in is going to determine how the busking is regulated. In Santa Monica, California, you pay a permit fee, and you get into a lotto. Uh, in Seattle as well, there's, it's a permitting and a fee structure uh, Venice Beach is like the wild, wild west. There's no permitting, no fee structure whatsoever, as is Hollywood Boulevard, and it's just insane. It's just a level of insanity. So every city has its own way of enforcing and regulating busking. There is no rhyme or reason. Heather Jacks, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. That was Heather Jacks. The Noise Beneath the Apple is her book, blog, and community dedicated to New York City buskers. You can find out more at thenoisebeneaththeapple.com. You're listening to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. In her book, busking enthusiast Heather Jacks mentions Natalia Peruse. She's known throughout the New York City subway system as the Saw Lady. It's a nickname she got from the tool she plays. I caught up with her at the Times Square subway station. playing the saw for about 20 years. Playing the saw is not something that your mother would send you to school for. Uh, Like most saw players, I saw someone else performing and that was my inspiration. How respected is the saw? That's an interesting question. Um, I think that respect is growing for this instrument. Um, A lot of people think of it as um, either just a gimmick Uh, something that you can just make sound effects with, or people associate it only with country music. But the truth is that the saw is a musical instrument just like any other, and you can play any style of music on it. You can play serious music on it, uh, you know, contemporary music. And um, so I, I think that respect is growing for it. It is true that I do have some difficulty in introducing it to composers and orchestras, which is part of my work, because oftentimes they sort of have a, let's call it a prejudice against it. They think that it's going to sound a certain way, so it's hard for me to get them to agree to just take a listen. But every time, without fail, if they do take a listen, they always say to me, it sounds completely different than what we imagined. Because people think that it would sound like cutting wood, but it doesn't. It sounds so angelic and and, and otherworldly. That all said, you have performed in big concert halls, but here you are at the 42nd Street subway station playing the saw. How come? Playing in the subway is 
my favorite thing to do in the world. It is true, I have played at Lincoln Center and uh, Madison Square Garden and um, Carnegie Hall, and it's all fun, but it's a totally different experience. When you're playing on a stage, you are up there with lights in your eyes, the audience is down there in the dark, you don't really see them, it's as if there is a glass wall between you and your audience. And it gets a little lonely, whereas in the subway, people are right here with you. I can see the transformation on their faces as they're listening to me play. They come and talk to me. There's a real exchange of energy, and it's just addictive. So you're not necessarily out here for the money. You're out here for the enjoyment? That is um, uh, something that a lot of people uh, uh, think of erroneously. They think that musicians who play in the subway do so because they have to. A lot of people think that people who play in the subway are not good enough to play elsewhere. They can't get gigs elsewhere, and that is why they play in the subway. Uh, a lot of people think that subway musicians are homeless, jobless, but it is, it is truly not so. A lot of the people who play in the subway also play all over the place in, let's call it, legitimate gigs. And true buskers, the ones that you see year after year in the, in the subways or in the streets, they do it because they want to do it. They love doing it. How long have you been busking now in New York City? Probably about... 18 and a half years. That's a pretty long time. What has that taught you about yourself? What has busking taught you about yourself as an individual, as a performer? I learned a lot from busking. Um, first of all, technique-wise, I would have never gotten to be as proficient with my instrument if it wasn't for playing in the subway. In the old days, uh, musicians had the vaudeville circuit, which allowed them to repeat the same repertoire to many audiences and therefore get better. Today, with television and the internet, uh, you play a piece once and that's it, it's done. Everybody's already seen it. So you don't get the chance to hone your craft, but the subway still allows that. Another thing which the subway taught me is about people and how I relate to people. I used to be very shy, but playing in the subway sort of forced me to come out of my shyness because when you play in the subway people come to you and they they start talking to you and it just it, it brings you out um, I used to be scared of people um, sometimes I would see someone approaching me and I would think oh this person looks scary is he gonna do something bad to me is he gonna try to steal from me 99.9% .9 of the time, the scariest looking people turned out to be the nicest, sweetest people with a heart of gold. So playing in the subway taught me to never judge anybody by the way they look. So it's taught you something about others as well as about yourself. Absolutely. It's, a, it's the best school ever. Natalia, guitarists often put out a guitar case for people to throw spare change in. What do you use as the saw lady? Well, since uh, the case that I use for my saw is a gun's case, because it's the only thing that would fit the shape of the instrument. A gun's case, huh? It's a sports gun case. It's sort of the reverse of the um, old Chicago gangsters joke, where the gangsters used to put um, um, rifles in musical instrument cases. I do the opposite. I put a musical instrument in a gun case. 
Um, so I don't put that in front of me, um, even though it gets me a lot of respect on the street. Um, I put a bucket in front of me, which I painted gold. Um, and that is my uh, donations box. How well do you do on any typical day? You know, it used to be uh, lucrative up to, let's say, the year 2000, during the period of time when the dot-com bubble was here, it was great times. But when the dot-com bubble burst, uh, you know, the economy started going down, you feel it all the way down to, to the subway. And then after 9-11, forget it. So today, I have friends who don't even bother putting a donations box in front of them. It's, it's all about CD sell selling. And um, you have your CDs here. Yes. Um, playing in the subway is really more, my, my father jokes about it. He says it's my office because this is where I do all my, um, all my uh, interacting with people, all my uh, networking. Uh, it's a great place for um, getting fans, like advertising your gigs. Um, you never know who might be walking by. It's like a perpetual audition. So uh, what you really get out of it is that. I mean, that's... What do you think of people who stand by here for a while and listen to you play and never throw anything in your bucket? I don't expect people to uh, uh, give money. Not everybody can. And the beauty of busking is that you share your music for free in the moment with people. Uh, a lot of people can't afford not only to give you a donation, but they can't afford to uh, go to uh, the concert hall to hear uh, music. A lot of people don't have the time to go to the concert hall, so you're bringing music to the people. What does annoy me is when people stand by me for an extended period of time filming or recording, and then they just walk away. Um, again, it's not necessarily the money, it's the respect. Uh, they treat buskers as if we are on television, as if we're not live people. You know, if, when people ask for my permission to take my picture, I always say yes. Um, or even, you know, when you're done filming, just like do a thumbs up or like, you know, say thank you or smile or nod at the musician. That's all, just, you know, basic human respect. What beside money have people thrown in your bucket? People put all sorts of things in my bucket. My favorite is when they write notes, little notes, and put them in my bucket. Um, one person wrote a whole poem and put it in my bucket. Um, people put all sorts of um, artwork that they did. Some people put CDs. Um, I got quite a few watches, brand new, in their cases. Um, oh, one time, a guy was standing uh, next to me for a long time and I, it was obvious that he was enjoying it. So I was sure that he was going to come by and, and do something. It really surprised me when he just walked away. And I thought, huh, that's weird. Five minutes later, he returned with a bouquet of flowers. That totally made my day. You know, when people put money in my donations box, of course, money is greatly appreciated. It's very useful but I would use it and then it would be gone. Whereas all those gifts that people put in my donations box, I would keep, I keep them forever. How many hours a day do you typically spend down here playing the saw? I usually play in the subway three times a week and each time a minimum of three hours. 
uh, sometimes up to six hours of non-stop playing. Do you take requests? You know what's interesting is that people never ask me to play songs that um, just out of the blue. They always ask me to play something that they've already heard me play before. For example, children will come and ask me to play the Harry Potter theme. Um, a lot of times people come and tell me that their friend or relative is in the hospital. Would I please play Ave Maria for them? So it's nice because people make requests out of things that they've already heard me play before. So it tells me that they pay attention. What pop tune do you play that people really know very well and get into? There is one pop tune which I learned to play especially for the subway because so many people have asked me to play it. Uh, they told me, oh, I think this would sound really good on the saw. And this is the theme from the Titanic movie. That was Natalia Peruse, otherwise known as the Saw Lady. Learn more about her and others in the Music Under New York program on the MTA's website. And that's all the time we have for today, but you can keep listening. Past episodes of the show are available in our archives at wfuv.org cityscape. Get show updates and New York City tidbits from our Facebook and Twitter pages. Find us on both as WFUV Cityscape. Thanks to senior producer Veronica Volk and producer Taylor Nolk. Have a great weekend. It's WFUV and WFUV HD New York. Listener-supported public media from Fordham, the Jesuit University of New York. Music discovery starts here.